Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this sermon from the series, I Believe. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to be back at Forward Church. It was great to get away for a weekend, and it's always great to be back. It's even better when you come back and you get a basket full of goodies. So, um... Maybe Blake and I should leave on the same weekend in the future. When we come back, we get this big reception. But thank you so much. What, what a surprise that was. I definitely was not expecting that. And I'm just grateful for the church that, um, that we get to be a, a pastor at and get to, to pastor you and serve you in that way. And it's so good to be here. Listen, last week, if you missed, if you weren't here, if you were gone on fall break, I know a lot of people were traveling just like my family was, but it was so good to have Ken Eidelman. Uh, my friend, a mentor to me, here to preach. He preached a fantastic sermon last week. If you were not here to hear how he preached on how to be a maximum impact church, you've got to go online, listen to the podcast, and hear what he had to say because it was just, um, it was a wonderful sermon that I wish I'd have been here um, to hear. That's the hard thing about having a guest preacher come in to preach in your place. You don't get to be there to, to experience it, but um, what, a, what a great job he did, and, and I just want to encourage you to, to listen to that because you'll be a stronger Christian. And the church will be more effective if you apply the biblical principles that, that Pastor Ken shared and preached last week. So, so make sure you, you go and listen to that podcast. Listen, today we're going to continue in this series titled, I Believe, as we study what all Christians believe as outlined in the Apostles' Creed. So we've been using the Apostles' Creed to point us to scriptures that outline the basics of our Christian faith. Some of you may have grown up um, repeating the Apostles' Creed. I did in the church I grew up in. I remembered... Um, uh, um, repeating it on a regular basis, but also as I got older, I just kind of wondered, why did we repeat that all the time? And I didn't really understand until later in life really what it meant. And I feel like there are many people in the church today that maybe don't even know what the Apostles' Creed is, maybe never heard it, or definitely don't know really what it means. So we're going line by line through it and looking at the scriptures that it points to to show us the basics of our faith. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 today, so if you want to grab your Bible, go ahead and grab that, turn to Acts chapter 1, that's the fifth book of the New Testament. You've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you've got the book of Acts, that's on page 909 of that hardback black Bible that's under the chair that you're sitting in, or one near you, there should be a Bible there. And again, if you don't have a Bible, take one of those, it's our gift to you, we want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. So... In Acts, it's important to note that the book of Acts is written by a doctor by the name of Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. So the same author. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts for a Roman official named Theophilus that we'll hear in just a couple of minutes, and he's trying to win him over to the Christian faith. So he's sharing the Gospel with him through these letters that he's written. So with that said, if you would stand with me, we're going to read from God's holy word, and we stand to, to show honor um, and respect for his word, that we do believe that this book is holy, and the words in there are breathed out by God. They are God's very words. So Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You can be seated. As always, may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Now, in this text, we see Jesus, and he's standing right in the presence of the apostles. So he is physically there in a physical body after his death, burial, and resurrection. He is there physically with them, and his physical body then begins to rise in the air and ascend into heaven. Just an amazing thing. So I want us to study some verses today that teach us why the ascension is so important to our faith. Why is it in the Apostles' Creed? We're looking at the line that says he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So, first of all, what we need to understand is the ascension allows us, or allows Jesus, I'm sorry, to be reunited with his Father in heaven. This is the moment when he gets to be reunited with his Father in heaven and take his rightful place on his throne as King of Kings and Lord of Lords at God the Father's right hand. Now his right hand is important because that's the hand of power. So Jesus is sitting in his place of authority, his place of power at the right hand of God the Father Almighty now. And that's why the ascension, first of all, is so important. So he has ascended and now he can reign and he can rule from his throne. And that is far better for us as well. And that's what he talked about in Scripture. Because of that fact, If uh, you know, at that time, before he had ascended, if you wanted to see Jesus, you had to travel to get to where he was. You had to find a way to get to where Jesus physically was here on earth. So we had to, to go to him. Now we have him living inside of every single believer. So you see, Jesus went to his place of power so that he could send his presence to us no matter where we are. Check out John 16, 7. Jesus says this concerning his, dispar- his departure and the Spirit's coming. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, they didn't understand what that meant. As he was saying that to them, they were thinking, what is he talking about? How is it going to be better if Jesus leaves us? We've got him right here in our very presence. He's right here in front of us. That's the best thing, right? He's saying, no, there's something better. When I go away, then I can be with every believer at all times. You see, on this side of the death, burial, and resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, we can see it more clearly what he was talking about there. He was telling them and he's telling us that by his ascension back to heaven with his Father, he would be able to send his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit would be present with us. Isn't that amazing news? You know, we don't have to travel somewhere. We don't have to make a journey to the Holy Land. We don't have to go to a special place to be in the presence of God. We don't even have to come into the church building to be in the presence of God. Now, it's great for us to come into the church building. We come here for edification, to build us up as a body of believers, to worship God together, to join together, to encourage one another. But we can experience God no matter where we are when we have faith in Jesus because he sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us to be present with us at all times. And that's why he ascended into heaven, was to send his spirit to be with us. Before we really dig into that a little bit more, I want to point out a question that they ask him in verse 6. In verse 6, they say, it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, 
will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, what do they mean there by restore the kingdom of Israel? See, we can read those kind of things and not really pay attention. But in the Old Testament, God promised and he created a people out of Abram at the time who became Abraham. That's who, who, who it is. So he, he gave a promise that he would create a people. And Abram was from a place called Cush, which is modern day Iraq. So just a little side note, think about that for a minute. It, the, the very first Jewish man, the very first Jew, Abraham, was actually an Iraqi. And when you begin to think about that and, and how our world is today and, and what's going on in Iraq, you know, the very first Jew was from Iraq. So, so this is Abram, who, whom God makes this promise to create a people out of. So the line of Abraham, the nation of Israel, comes out of him. And this is God's chosen people. So out of the nation of Israel, God um, brings the prophets. And then he, he gives the covenant promises. And, and he establishes the law and the sacrificial system. And he gives them all of those things for this reason. That in Israel, the nation of Israel, the world would see what right relationship with God and a right relationship with other people, with their neighbors, is supposed to look like. So the law and the promises, the covenants, the sacrificial system, it was all built so that other nations might look upon the nation of Israel and see what a right relationship with God is to look like. And at times, the nation of Israel did great at modeling that. And, and at other times, they failed miserably. You read through the Old Testament, you just see this ebb and flow, this up and down. They're close to God, they're far from God. They're close to God, they're far from God. When they're following God closely, when they are, when they are reflecting what they are to, to look like in a relationship with God and with others, then the nation of Israel was blessed, and they saw great victories. And then there were times when the nation of Israel stopped following God closely, and the blessing was lifted from them, and they saw great defeat. And now... God's people were under great oppression from the Romans. So that question that they ask him at that time, it begins to make sense to us, right? They're asking, they're asking Jesus, they're saying, okay, um, your kingdom's coming, and, and, and they're beginning to understand things. They're saying, is it over now? Um, are, you bringing, are you bringing the kingdom back to Israel? Are you restoring us? Are you making all things new? Uh, is it time for that? Is that what you're going to do? And isn't that questions that, that we ask as well? We look at the world around us. You read the news, you read the headlines, you look at what's happening in our world, and don't you sometimes just say, God, are you sending Jesus back to make all things new? Are you going to restore things? Will you come soon? Will you put an end to the misery and the turmoil and the way that things are just falling apart around us? God, when will you restore? And that's basically what they're asking him. And they're saying, are you going to restore things and make things new for us now? And don't we also sometimes live kind of like the Israelites that sometimes we're close to God and we're, we're following God and we're, we're looking like what the, the, what the church is supposed to look like and then other times we find ourselves struggling and straying from his ways and, and, and kind of like the nation of Israel up and down. We have this internal struggle between the flesh and the spirit and, and we do good for a while and then all of a sudden this old, this old temptation comes up and starts rearing its ugly head again and we struggle and we, just, we wonder, God, when will you just... When will you just restore things? When will you just put an end to all this suffering? And the answer of Jesus to them is pretty compelling. What he first does is gives them kind of a mild rebuke. And in verse 7, it says he said this to them. It's not for you to know. The times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He's saying it's not, it's not for you to know when God's going to restore all things. It's not for you to worry about and stress over and then get focused on, God, when are you going to do this? When are you going to restore things? Jesus said the Father has a plan. And you don't need to know the plan. You don't need to worry about that. What you do need to know 
is what he talks about in the very next verse, verse 8. So he says, you don't need to worry about the when is he going to come back and when is he going to restore things. Look at verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, verse 8 is really the lens through which we read all of the book of Acts because God is going to send his Holy Spirit in power and we will receive power when we have his Holy Spirit living in us to then become effective witnesses. So what he's telling them is he's saying, listen, you've got this constant ebb and flow. You've got this constant frustration of I'm doing well, then all of a sudden I'm struggling. He's saying you have power to overcome that when the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you through faith in Jesus. And then you will be empowered to become witnesses to everyone who sees you living your life. So he's saying, I'm sending power for you. The Holy Spirit's going to empower you and going to help you look like a Christian is supposed to look. Now, it's a general rule when you read your Bible that if something is repeated, then it is to be emphasized. It's very important. So the promise of the Holy Spirit, he had already mentioned it um, just a couple verses earlier in verse 4, and now he mentions it in verse 8. So if we look at verse 4, here's what he said. And while staying with them, he, meaning Jesus, while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what we have is Jesus ascending to his throne and he's leaving this world in his limited physical location, right? He was limited in where he could be in his physical body and he ascends to his throne in that physical body and then he sends his Holy Spirit to the church, to all believers, to empower us to be effective witnesses for him. So how do we begin to look like Christ? How do we begin to overcome temptation? We allow his Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. We allow his Holy Spirit to empower us. And we'll talk a lot more about that in the coming weeks when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, but that is what he's telling us is that it's far better for him to ascend. And that way his spirit can be with us and available. So the very presence of God is living inside of every believer. If you're sitting in this room and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you placed your faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. And I know when I was early on as a Christian, I used to think, you know, man, it would be so nice to be one of the disciples because I could have stood with Jesus, I could have walked with Jesus, I could have asked him questions. And Jesus is saying, no, it's so much better for you now. We have it way better than the disciples and the apostles did because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us you have the king of kings the lord of lords your savior your rescuer your redeemer the son of god available 24 7 inside of you and that should just change our world radically so we see that jesus ascending to the right hand of his father establishes him as king of kings and lord of lords he's in his place of power his place of authority he's given us the holy spirit to live inside of us to strengthen us and help us look like Christ, and it makes God available to us at any time, anywhere. The next thing we see about his ascension is that, is that it gives us a glimpse into our future. Because don't we know that we're not yet where we'll one day be? Two weeks ago, I talked about how our bodies are not made to last forever, but we will have new glorified bodies in heaven, right? Jesus ascended bodily, and one day we will ascend in glorified bodies to be with God in heaven. Uh, praise the Lord, it's not these bodies, right? 
You know, there'll be no more achy knees. There's no more cuts and bruises. There's no more, no more sickness. No more, no, more, no, more, um, no more hurt and pain. So we'll have these glorified bodies that are imperishable because we know that these bodies are perishable. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that the dead in Christ shall rise, that those who are here when he returns will, will um, be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. And we don't know exactly what that looks like, but we know it'll be this imperishable body that, that will not perish. And it's incredible news for us. And 1 Corinthians 15 ends with this verse, because we'll have these imperishable bodies, because we have this promise of everlasting life and a body that no longer perishes, he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So because of the promise of this ascension of Jesus, that it promises us that, that we too will ascend like him, he says, you remain steadfast. You remain steadfast in your faith because there's this promise of everlasting life for you, of imperishable bodies for us. So how do we do that? Well, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like I said, we're going to learn more about that in the coming weeks, but it's, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit and because it's something I want every one of us to understand today, because Jesus is praying for you. You walked in here today, did you know that Jesus is praying for you? Did you know that with the ascension, he is now seated at God's right hand and he is interceding on every believer's behalf? King of kings, Lord of lords, sits at the right hand of God and he speaks into God's ear on your behalf. Romans 8.34 is an amazing verse that we all should memorize. It says this, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. As a follower of Jesus, you have the King of kings and Lord of lords interceding on your behalf. You have your Messiah, your Savior, your Rescuer speaking to God the Father, your name, and on your behalf praying for you. Therefore, the Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God once we have accepted and received the love of God because we have him interceding there on our behalf. He's taken our sin and he's praying for us to succeed. So the ascension is such incredible news for every single believer because we, we, don't we love having godly people pray for us? How many of us in this room would love to know that there's somebody who's godly, who's close to God, who's, who's living their life right praying for you? Anybody in this room? I love when I know that I have people praying for me. It's an amazing thing. I want you to know that, that the elders and the staff of this church, they pray for you. Every second Sunday, the elders get, or second Wednesday, the elders gather together. We get the prayer requests off the wall in that prayer room right back there. We, we discuss prayer needs that we know that are going on in the church. We talk about things that we know need prayer prayed for, and we pray over you. And that should lift you up. That should encourage you. The staff prays over you. Just a few moments ago during that appreciation that I had no clue was coming, it was just a, an amazing moment to have Mike, the chairman of our elders, pray over myself and Blake and, and our families. And that's a moment of lifting us up and, and encouraging us. And it's great to know that they are praying for me. And for me personally, I take great comfort knowing that there's people that pray for me. Every week, one of our elders takes a day out of the week and prays and fasts for the other elders. So there's always, throughout the month, somebody throughout that week praying and fasting for me and I can't tell you how important that is for me and how that encourages me and how that strengthens me to know that 
have a longtime friend and mentor who sends me a text every single Sunday and he prays over me and he's just a godly man who is awesome. And he's on his way home from Destin, Florida and he still took time to pray for me and he sent me a text this morning at, at, at 8 o'clock and said, on our way home today, I'm praying for you today that the Lord will give you insight and creativity and leading the church further and further into being true disciples and that they will worship a great God this morning in spirit and in truth. And wasn't that prayer already answered? What amazing worship we had this morning, but I've got an amazing man in my life that prays over me every single week, and I can't tell you and I can't express to him, even though I've tried, how amazing it is to know week after week that that text is coming, a simple prayer over me, and what it does to lift me up and encourage me to stand here and preach boldly the Word of God. It's the power of prayer to have a godly person praying over you. I have godly men in my life who ask me on a regular basis how they can pray for me, and that lifts me up. I have a godly wife who prays over me all the time, and that just encourages me and lifts me up. I can't imagine going through life without the prayer support of those people whom I know are close to the Lord. Listen, if you don't have that, I hope you get that. But even if you don't have that, guess what? You've got the most perfect being that ever lived that prays for you regularly. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, Lord of lords, your Savior, prays for you. That should radically change your world. If you woke up every single day knowing that your rescuer is praying for you and interceding for you at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, that changes the way you face life. That changes the way you walk you're in, in, your, in your Christian walk when you are lifted up by the prayers of Jesus. You see, I can go to those people that, that lift me up in prayer anytime and I know they're going to pray for me. And it's life-changing for me too to know that Jesus Christ prays for me and lifts me up. The precious Son of God, King of Kings. It doesn't get any better than that. But then you might ask, well, what does He pray for? Well, it doesn't exactly say, but the Bible does tell us some ways that Jesus does pray for us. John chapter 17, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, because it's Jesus. It's his words. It's him praying. It's him talking. And I just love that chapter of the Bible. Read John chapter 17 sometime. In it, Jesus prays for himself and his kingdom work. Jesus prays for his disciples, and Jesus prays for us. So we see some things that he prays for us there. Read through John 17 this week and begin to claim that prayer over yourself. And see how it begins to change your life when you recognize what Jesus has prayed for you. And here's a couple of the things I want to point out. Jesus prayed that we be unified. Jesus prayed that all Christians would be unified, that we would be one as he, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. Imagine if all Christians were unified. Imagine if we woke up every day knowing that Jesus is praying that you would have a unified heart with other believers. Imagine if every interaction we had, we knew that, you know what, how I respond, how I react, how I, even though I have differences with this person, I can still find unity with them because Jesus desires and prays for me to be unified with all other believers. Imagine how that would change our life. Jesus prays that the dwelling of his Holy Spirit in us would be unmistakable. So he's praying for you, that the Holy Spirit would be so powerful in your life, so evident in your life, that anyone who encounters you would see Jesus. That's what he's praying for you, that the Holy Spirit would just overflow out of you and be evident in your life. That should radically change us as well, that Jesus desires that no matter who encounters you, they would see something about you and they would say, you know what, there's something different about them and I like that. And then they would want what we've got. 
Because the Holy Spirit, that's how it draws people to himself. Because he is seen through other believers. And guess what? You know what? Sometimes we're opposed by people seeing Jesus in us because the enemy doesn't like the Holy Spirit. So you might see opposition sometimes. People might see what's in you, which is holiness and righteousness and purity and the Holy Spirit living out of you, and they might oppose that, and that's to be expected. He says we'll be opposed when we're living our life the way that Jesus wants us to live. But we're to show the Holy Spirit. That's what he prays for us. He prays that we would one day share in his glory. So he's praying for you, interceding for you, that you would share in his glory, that you would be ascended to heaven with him. That's what Jesus is praying for you. He wants that for you. He desires that for you. Shouldn't that be life-changing if we lived every day that way? He's praying that God's love would be in us and seen through our lives. Those are some simple things that Jesus is praying for you. And imagine if every single one of us woke up every single day understanding those things that Jesus prays over us and we began to live out that way. Because how many of us in here think that the prayers of Jesus get answered? I do. If God's going to answer anybody's prayers, it's the prayers of Jesus Christ, right? And he's praying that over you. He's praying that for you. That alone should give us comfort and strength to face anything this world can throw at us. Because we have the overcomer, the King of kings, Lord of lords, praying on our behalf. And then we're able to live as effective witnesses, reflecting the picture of the gospel to everyone that sees our lives because we're living by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're living by the the prayers of Jesus Christ over us to reflect the gospel. So I'd ask you to, um, if you would, just please stand with me again. We're going to repeat what we've learned so far through the Apostles' Creed, and we're each week learning a different line of it, and as we read it, as we repeat it, hopefully it's becoming, um, it's coming to life for us. Hopefully we're understanding it more. Hopefully we're um, coming to this understanding of what it means in our life as we repeat it. So it's going to be on the screens for us. If you would um, just follow along with me, we're going to repeat up to what we've studied so far. I believe in God, the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. You can have a seat. It's beautiful to hear the church repeat that and the reality is Jesus is king of kings he's lord of lords he is seated at God's right hand he is there taking over his rightful place and he is in control and he sends his holy spirit to every single Christian and he is praying over you that you be unified with other believers he's praying over you that you would live in a way that shows Jesus to all others who see you he's praying over you that you will one day share in his glory and he's praying that God's love would show through you in the way that you live your life and the way you encounter everyone imagine if you embrace that prayer from Jesus every single day Imagine if you woke up in the morning and you realized Jesus is praying for me. He's praying these things over me and this is how I'm going to live my life. Listen, you can do that and you will do that. When you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and when you begin to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, live your life in a way that reflects his glory. This line of the Apostles' Creed, it reminds us that King Jesus is seated at the right hand of his Father. I just want us to picture that. 
Now certainly Jesus is not always just sitting right at God's right hand. We see other, other things in the Bible that talks about he's doing other stuff. He's preparing a room for us. Um, we see where he stands at God's right hand in the Bible. But just picture him that he is at God's right hand and he is whispering in God's ear your name. I want you to just imagine that in your mind right now. It's just a beautiful thing to personalize it and think that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is whispering your name into God's ear and he's saying, I died for that person. They've received salvation through faith in me. And I'm praying for them that they be unified, that they be filled with your Holy Spirit, that they look like the gospel when they, were, when they lived their life, that love would be flowing out of them. And I'm praying for them that they come and, and share in my glory. That's what he's doing for you. And maybe you needed to receive that today. Maybe you've never realized that that's what Jesus does for you and that's what the ascension means for you. Maybe today's the day that you need to come to the altar and you just need to accept salvation that God offers through His Son, through Jesus. Maybe you need to come and you need to worship Him for being the one who intercedes on your behalf. Maybe you never realized that He's there and that He's prayed those prayers for you. I want us to look at one more passage in Acts chapter 1. It's verses 10 through 11 at the end of what we read. And it says, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The angels, what they said was, Why are you standing there staring into heaven? Get busy doing what he told you to do. You see, I think often the church... And many Christians are guilty of just kind of staring into the heavens, waiting for Jesus to return. And we're saying, God, when will you restore all things? And he's saying, it's not for you to know when, the hour or the time, but until then, get busy. Get out there and you live your life filled with the Holy Spirit, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he says, you do that by the power of my Holy Spirit that is inside of you. So may we stop just staring into the heavens and may we get active in doing what he's called us to do. You can start that today by saying, I commit today to following Jesus with all of my heart. I want to invite you to do that. You can do that as we worship God. Let's pray. Father, your word is true. And your word speaks to our hearts. And God, as we look at your word, we can see how Jesus ascended bodily and he's at your right hand. And we can receive the truth that He is King of kings and He's Lord of lords and He's there on our behalf. Father, some of us in this room today, maybe we've never received that. Maybe we've never placed our faith in Jesus and realized that all of our sins can be forgiven because of what Christ has done for us. God, if anyone in this room is in that place today, I pray that they would just run to the altar and they would receive the salvation that You offer by just praying and thanking You for giving it to them. Father, may we as a church run alongside of them and encourage them and help them in their walk. Father, other, others of us in this room, we've just never realized that while Jesus is at your right hand, that he's speaking our name into your ear. He's there on our behalf. And that he's prayed for us what he has prayed. God, we rejoice in that. May that be life-changing for us as we walk out of here. May we walk a little taller because we are confident that we have the King of kings and Lord of lords interceding on our behalf. So, Father, as we worship you, we bow before you, we repent of our sin, we thank you for the forgiveness that you offer. 
and we celebrate the work that you're doing in our lives. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in the series, I Believe. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.